Hi, I'm Carrie. And I'm Cassandra. And this is Too Good to Be True. And before we start, we have an announcement to make. And that announcement would be that not this episode, but our next one is going to be our last of this podcast. We have our reasons for not doing it anymore, which, you know, I'll give some of them because they're not really overly personal. Um, Part of it is that I am just kind of, I'll be honest, I'm a little burned out here. I'm working a lot. I mean, doing a lot. Putting a lot of work in, not just with the podcast, but I've got a full-time job, a part-time job, um, kind of, I guess you could call it a side hustle. And a lot of things, I also do freelance artwork and stuff. So it's just a lot to do all of that, plus research, do a good job of researching. Yeah, and, and we wanted it to stay consistent and be good but it's like it's it's getting harder and harder to right but also you know you know i kind of likened it before to you know the tv show thing and it's like you have a tv show that you really enjoy and then the last season or two it's just absolute shit and you're thinking well they should have ended it when it was still good it was still good and so we want we want to go out on a hand on a high minute yeah where we're still enjoying it it's still fun and we're not, we don't want to drop in quality to the point where nobody wants really to listen to us anymore. We feel like we've done a decent job. We've grown a lot. We've definitely spread a lot of awareness on different issues. We've had fun and we've really enjoyed doing it. And we really appreciate everybody who stuck with us through it. We do not intend to take it down or archive this podcast at all. It's still going to be out there. So if you keep it in your, you know, library and you want to listen to it, Again, later on, it's still going to be there. We've removed, well, I've removed all the ads from it because another reason that we don't feel like carrying on with it is that our host is removing our ability to monetize. They've just kind of made it more and more difficult each month. They roll out something else that's more difficult, and it's to the point now where I feel like we're kind of being penalized by the fact that a lot of our listeners are choosing a different platform to listen to us on. And we don't really feel like that's fair. So that's another reason. And another reason is we feel like it just kind of doesn't fit us anymore. So we're, we like to joke around. We like to be goofy. We like to be lighthearted. Obviously, we're not going to do that a lot on a true crime podcast because it's not appropriate. There are, there are times where we joke and we laugh, but we don't want to do it at the expense of a victim ever. And, but we want we want to do something where we're able to let our personalities fully come out and just enjoy ourselves and have fun. So that said, we are going to be releasing a new podcast in a couple of months. We're going to begin it in December of this year. It's called Girl Come On. And any guys that are listening, I apologize. You may not be as interested in it. Interested. I mean, you might be because while we are going to be talking about some women's issues and stuff, it's going to be just a fun podcast where we just, it's more conversational. We're going to be kind of choosing some some posts on, you know, Reddit's Am I the Asshole sub and giving our viewpoints on is that person the asshole or not. We're going to discuss discussions. We'll set up an email to where if anybody wants to ask us if we think they're the asshole. Yeah, they can do that. And we're going to just try a new format where we just have fun. So, and I am going to release a trailer for that. It's a very short trailer. 
but I'm going to release a trailer for that within this podcast so you can see what it's really about. And it's also going to, the trailer will be released under the actual podcast itself. So you'll be able to follow or subscribe to it ahead of time. So that way, when we finally start dropping episodes, they'll show up in your feed. It shouldn't be exciting. Something fun and different. Yep. So again, thanks everybody. I'm going to go ahead and get this episode started. And then after our next episode will be our final farewell for this podcast. And who's to say we won't eventually come back to it either? We don't know. I mean, maybe we'll take a year off from doing this and then be like, maybe we'll get interested in it again. You never know. So that's another reason I'm not just going to wipe it off the face of the earth. But anyway, this week we're continuing in our third installment of Behind the Godfather. And it's going to be on Joseph Bonanno, Mr. Banana Man. (laughs) So Joseph Bonanno was actually born Giuseppe Carlo Bonanno on January 18th, 1905 in Castel... Hold on, hold on. Am I going to work on this? Castellamare del Golfo, Sicily. So he's actually Sicilian. So the guys that are like, anybody that's not Sicilian yeah, legit. So he's like... yeah really in with the people then yeah his parents were salvatore bonanno and catherine bon ventre he had uncles named giuseppe bonanno and stefano bonanno who led a group of people in <laughs> i know sorry the names all mine. crazy stefano bonanno <laughs> poor man yeah i feel bad for him well they led this group of people in the castellamare del Golfo. They were friends with another group led by Stefano Magadino, who we have talked about already, who was actually related to Joseph's grandmother. Around the 1900s, the early 1900s, there were arguments between these groups and this other person named Felice Buccellato, who was in charge of the Buccellato clan. After... Giuseppe and Stefano were killed. Their brother Salvatore got revenge by hurting people from the Bucciolato clan. Because, you know, that's what they do. That's exactly what they do. Piss them off, they hurt you. In 1902, Magadino went to New York and became a strong member of the Castellamarisa group, which is the word that we really struggled with last time. Yeah. But I, ha- I listened to the pronunciation about 800 more times, and I think I've got it. But that's good. When... Joseph was three. His family moved to the United States, and they lived in Brooklyn for about 10 years, and then they eventually ended up going back to Italy. So he was here, and then they left. His dad went back to Italy in 1911 and died in 1915, which that that had to suck. You know, your dad moves back to your home country, and then he passes away. I mean, I don't know how much contact they really had. It's not like, right. I don't even, when were phones even... You know, when phones were invented, if telephones were... Th- I feel like they were invented in the 1800s. I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm trying to think off some. But at best, they were probably writing each other, maybe phoning if that was a thing, and then he didn't see him. I, well, I would imagine. I mean, it's not like travel, international travel, was really easy back then. In 1921, Magadino went to Buffalo, New York, to escape from being accused of murder. I mean, do what you gotta do. I guess so. 
1924, Bonanno came back to the United States by hiding on a boat from Cuba to Florida with Peter Magadino, who was Stefano's son. He was caught by immigration officers in Jacksonville, but later he was let go after paying $1,000 in bail. After he's let go, he was greeted by Willie Moretti and another man who was unidentified. And then it turned out that Magadino had helped with the bail as a favor for Giovanni Bonventre, who was Joseph's uncle, which, remember, that was his mom's maiden name. Okay. Bonanno first worked in a bakery owned by his uncle and later took acting classes in Manhattan. He was part of the mafia in Italy and came to the U.S. just like, um, I think it was Gambino, to get away from Benito Mussolini's strict rules. Because he, yeah. you know, Benito Mussolini was all like, I hate the mafia, I'm going to get rid of them. And so they were like, fuck this, and they came to America and they left. So, thanks, Mussolini. Now we have the mafia over here. Super cool. Thanks for, thanks for kicking, the, <laughs> kicking them out or making them want to leave, and then they come here. So, Bonanno gets into the same thing everybody else is into, and he's bootlegging and selling illegal alcohol. He worked with Gaspar Di Gregorio and Giovanni Romano, but Romano died in an explosion at their place. Wow. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know what goes into the process of making alcohol where you would blow up, but that, that happened. Yeah. I, see, I could see that happening with bootlegging. No, I guess. Did you ever watch that show, Louis Shiners? No, but I, oh. I've seen some old dudes making Louis Shine and I intended. <laughs> okay, so one tongue. Story time. Unrelated. One time, uh, you know Jim, but my my friend, Jim, and I, we were trying to go to our other friend's hurry. She was having like a, it was, it was like a Labor Day or, no, it was Memorial Day. It was a Memorial Day little gathering that she was having at her place. And she lived out kind of rural and she gave us kind of like sketchy directions to her place because this was back back in the day you know we didn't have gps and all that mm-hmm. nonsense so we were just going off of like you turn left at the giant tree and then you take a right at the big red barn and like right we're going off of that well we ended up pulling into the wrong driveway oh shit and it was these two really redneck country old dudes chilling on a porch and we pulled up and that was our thought we were like oh shit like we're gonna get shot or something these two dudes are like y'all want some moonshine some in the little mason jars that they made and they were just offering it to us and we were like oh um no thank you (laughs) and then we got to her place finally we found it and we're like these two guys offered us a moonshine she's like oh those are my apples (laughs) (laughs) so that's my only experience with that oh my anyway back on topic during the time that all this is going on, this is when Salvatore Maranzano, the guy who was, you know, the boss of all bosses. Yeah, the boss of all boss. Well, he became a friend and teacher to Bonanno. So he's going to learn the way. Mm-hmm. And during the Castellamarisa War, which we've talked about before as well, which was between 1930 and 1931, Maranzano and Bonanno faced off against a rival Brooklyn group led by Joe Masseria, who we've helped also talking about, and Giuseppe Morello. Amidst this conflict, a covert third faction emerged comprising younger mafiosi from both sides. And these are the ones that you were talking about in your last episode who didn't want to do the traditional, like, 
boss of all bosses, boss. Yeah, they called. They were like calling the young people young Turks. I mm-hmm. didn't write that in my thing or anything. Yeah, but I have it though. Yeah, they were definitely called young Turks, and they were led by that lucky Luciano, who, as you said, had disapproved of the old-fashioned ways of Masseria Maranzano and other traditional mafiosi. On the Masseria side, members included Frank Costello, Vito Genovese, Joe Adonis, Carlo Gambino, and Albert Anastasia, which we've heard of all of these dudes already. Already, yeah. And the Maranzano side had Joe Profacci, who you're going to cover next, mm-hmm. Tommy Galliano, Tommy Lucchese, Joseph Meliocco, and Stefano Magadino. Technically, we've also covered pretty much all of them. We had to talk a full lot about Joe Profacci. But no, we will. Yeah, we will. And the other guys have had a pretty big part so far. Despite his adherence to traditional values, Bonanno recognized the need for modernization, and he ended up aligning with the Young Turks. In an agreement with Maranzano, Luciano orchestrated Masseria's demise in exchange for control of his operations in a high-ranking position under Maranzano. This plot culminated in Masseria's death on April 15, 1931. And Luciano's perception of Maranzano shifted, viewing him as even more rigid than Masseria. So now, we, you know, we have another problem. Of course. Both of them, yeah, they saw both of them as a problem. Right. So, consequently, then, Luciano assumed the role of capo di tutti capi, which is Italian like, for boss of all bosses. Thought, yeah, essentially. And orchestrated Maranzano's assassination on September 10th, 1931. And trying to learn that phrase was also very fun because... I was going to say it on mine. So, um, they have Italian, like, names for all the levels, but I was like, not going No, there. but when I looked it up, yeah. so I got the actual pronunciation, but then also there was one that was like, say it in English. And so I was like, all right, let's say it in English. So I clicked on it, and it was this girl, and she was like, capo di tutti capi. Oh, God, that's awful. And I was yeah. like, that sounds... I'd rather say it more authentic. That sounds terrible. Capo di tutti capi. <laughs> I was like, that good. It doesn't even sound like words, but okay. Following Maranzano's elimination, Bonanno took charge of the majority of Maranzano's family and became one of the youngest ever crime family bosses at the age of 26. That is pretty young. You know... At 26, I didn't think 26 was all that young, but at 36, I'm like, fuck. 26, yeah, you're that's a baby. True. <laughs> the extent of Banana's involvement in the events preceding Maranzano's demise remains disputed. In his autobiography, Banano claimed ignorance of Luciano's plans, learning of them only from Magadino, so he says he didn't know anything about it. According to Bonanno, Maranzano and Luciano's issues stemmed from a power struggle in the garment district, escalating to the point where Maranzano intended to eliminate Luciano soon before his own assassination took place. So remember, the garment district was like a big thing because they were in the trucking union that was driving, you know, the garments right. to and fro, and they were getting a cut of every sale, and that was, you know, one of their rackets. Bonanno opted for a path of peace believing that engaging in conflict with Luciano would be futile as Luciano sought autonomy in his operations and didn't demand their allegiance. So he's like, meh, he's not really asking us to be loyal to him, yeah. so whatever. Which, I mean, that is probably the most level-headed thing I've seen one of these people do so far. For real. 
Manano also considered his soldiers' reluctance to return to violence shortly after the Castellamarisa War. Some experts, like this guy, Anthony Bruno, who I think, I'm pretty sure I saw him in the documentaries that I watched on these. Okay. They find it illogical to think that Luciano would spare Bonanno if he remained loyal to Moranzano. I don't know. Who's to say? Who's to say? In lieu of Moranzano's capo di tutti capi concept, Luciano introduced a national commission, which we've talked about. We talked about this before, yeah. Wherein each family's boss would be represented and allegiances would be owed. <laughs> Sounds so serious. Sure does. The commission would mediate disputes among the groups, as we said. In 1931, shortly after Maranzano's assassination, Bonanno married someone named Faye Labruzzo. They had three children, Salvatore Bill Bonanno, a daughter Catherine, and another son, Joseph Charles Jr. Bonanno owned property in Hempstead and later Middletown, New York. But Bill had some health problems, so due to that, he was sent to a Catholic boarding school in Tucson, Arizona. So after that happened, Bonanno kind of went with him and established a residence in Tucson in the early 1940s, which, I mean, good for him. Rather than just abandoning his sick son, he went with him. That's nice. So he did have some legal businesses. He had three coat-making companies, laundries, cheese suppliers, funeral homes, and a trucking company. But the funeral home part is the sketchy part. It's kind of weird. Okay. <laughs> so there were suspicions that his funeral home in Brooklyn was being used to hide bodies, and it was said that he made coffins that could hold more than one body. I've heard, no, I don't know if, like, it was, like, mafia people, but I've heard of this before. Like, people running, um you know, businesses like that, and then using coffins to put extra bodies in. Yeah, that's gross. But, like, yeah. I wonder how, is it have, like, a secret like chamber? And they don't, don't know. Don't me, or they're like, oh, no, it's closed casket only. And they That would be them. my assumption that, like, they were, like, if they were using them for actual, you know, burials and like whatever they probably had like a false bottom or that's what i'm thinking like is it like a magician sound (laughs) i don't know i did find that i I did find that interesting i kind of would like to learn more about that yeah i feel like i had heard that before or like they have it in with someone who is someone who runs a business like that i was just thinking they do that shit for them do you know what i mean yeah i was just thinking i know a guy who owns a couple of funeral homes i should ask him She'd be like, hey, how would they do this? I just, I need to know. I need to know. I need to know. The ins and outs of this. <laughs> I'm not, he's like a really, he's a cool dude. Like a lot of funeral directors and stuff are like goofy. I don't know. Right. They, they, well, I mean, they have their, you know, gallows, a sense of humor, but yeah. But I don't know. At least they all, like everyone I've met has been kind of a goofball because like, I guess you have to have that kind of personality to deal with, with that stuff. All yeah, time. for sure. So I kind of wonder what this guy was like. But whatever. Like Vita's dad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry, man. I haven't seen that real. I haven't either. You know, when I was little, we had two kittens, a girl and a boy, and we named them Veda and Thomas J. Because oh, of that really? movie. <laughs> anyway. 
in 1945, my dude Bonanno did what nobody else did and actually became a U.S. citizen. That same year, of course, he got in trouble for breaking wage laws and he had to pay a $450 fine, which was a much bigger deal back then than it is now. So you're here for 50 and you're thinking, eh, whatever. This was like, that's a good the fines. There was a lot. In 1957, it said that Bonanno went to a mafia meeting in Palermo at the Grand Hotel A de Palm. About a month later, in November, the that Appalachian conference took place. Oh, yeah, yeah. The thing where they all got together in New York. Vito Genovese arranged it to talk about the future of Cosa Nostra, and Bonanno was set to be there. However, as I said before, the meeting was stopped by the police who looked into the out-of-state cars and arrested many of the mafia people there. Bonanno claims that he wasn't there, but one of the guys who got caught had his driver's license. Which, I don't... That's weird. Yeah, why would you... I mean, whatever. Whatever, guys. The police report says he was caught while trying to run away on foot. Everyone caught had to pay fines of up to $10,000 and got sentences of three to five years in prison. But in 1960, all of the convictions were canceled after they appealed. During the trial... Bonanno didn't even testify because he had a heart attack. Well, you know, and they're all having heart attacks, and they can't put two and two together that maybe they should stop stressing maybe themselves. This is a now. stressful um, way of living your life. <laughs> maybe slow down a little bit? Nah. Supposedly, in 1963, it said that Bonanno made plans to harm some of his rivals in the Mafia group. Some of the bosses, Tommy Lucchesi, Carlo Gambino... Stefano Magadino, and Frank DeSimone. Bonanno wanted help from another boss named Joseph Maliocco, who agreed because he was upset about not being part of the group before, because that's what they do. They get pissy about how sad. Yeah, they're just like, ah, oh, I wasn't included. Nah. And then they have dairy. Yeah, and they kill people, because, you know, that's what you do. Bonanno's big idea was to take control of the group and make Maliocco his right-hand man. Malioko was, of course, then told to get rid of Lucchese and Gambino, so he asked one of his top hitmen, Joseph Colombo, who we have already talked about, to do it. But as we learned in the Gambino episode, Colombo ended up telling the targets about the plan because he can't shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> the other bosses realized that Malioko probably didn't come up with this on his own. And since Bonanno was very close to Malioko and had these strong connections through marriages, the other bosses thought Bonanno was the real leader behind it all. So the group was like, hey, Bonanno and Malioko, um, come fucking explain yourselves. And Bonanno was like, no, I don't think I will. And so <laughs> in the middle of 1964, he peaced out to Montreal, leaving Malioko to deal with the group by himself. Really? Mm-hmm. Malioko was, of course, scared and not mentally well, so he admitted his part in the plan. He was just like, oh my god, uh, y'all are going to kill me, so maybe I should just admit it and hope for the best. And it kind of worked out for him because they decided not to kill him, but they made him retire as a boss of his family and pay a $50,000 fine, which again, at, with inflation, that's a shitload of money. That's a shit ton of money. Colombo, who had told on his own boss, got to control the family. Because, like, that's what you want, a snitch. When he fled to Montreal, Bonanno lied on his immigration papers, saying he never did anything illegal. 
sure. <laughs> so they were like, mm, I don't think so. And it, they probably took one look at him and they were like, <laughs> I, I think you're not telling the truth here. I know you fucking lying. <laughs> so he was held in Bordeaux prison for about 90 days until he had to leave Canada. In October 1964, he came back to Manhattan, but on October 21st, the day before he was supposed to talk to a group investigating committee, his lawyer said that after having dinner with them, he was taken by force, maybe by Magadino's people. This happened when he was going into an apartment building where one of his lawyers lived. FBI recordings of another boss, Sam the Plumber, <laughs> the Cavalcante, showed that the other bosses were surprised when Bonanno disappeared. Other FBI recordings captured angry people who worked for Bonanno saying he left them behind. So he was, like, taken by force, but they were like, this bitch ran away again. <laughs> so they're bad. Everyone else is shocked, but he's gone. So while Bonanno was away for two years, Gaspar Di Gregorio saw an opportunity to become the leader of the family because some members of the family were not happy with Bill, his son's role. The Mafia Commission decided to make Di Gregorio the boss of the Bonanno family, which caused a lot of problems within the family. And the media called it the Banana War. <laughs> of course they did. See, we knew bananas would be in here soon. <laughs> this I was dying when you said banana the last time because I knew this and I was like, she's going to shit. It was actually the banana war. I mean, shit, I would call it that too. And then the, my next note is this created a split in the family. Banana split? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my note, literally in parentheses, I had a banana split. Ha ha, get it? <laughs> that is beautiful. Oh, man. I love it. And this ended up with some people loyal to Bill and others loyal to Di Gregorio. In early 1966, Di Gregorio supposedly reached out to Bill to suggest a meeting to, to make peace. Bill agreed, and they decided to meet at his great uncle's house on Troutman Street in Brooklyn. On January 28, 1966, as Bill and his supporters approached the house, they were shot at, but luckily no one was hurt. Because all these mafia guys are not great. Hey, I don't, they're not good at Apparently it. not. They're very not good at shooting people. They need to be right up. Shout out their name at the last second. Hey, Bryce, I'm going to shoot you. And you can turn. Yeah. Well, Bonato shows back up then on May 17, 1966 at Foley Square. The commission became unhappy with how D. Gregorio was handling the family's problems and decided to support Paul Siacha instead. In 1968, D. Gregorio was shot with a machine gun. Finally, somebody got got their aim good, and and then but he didn't die still, and he, he had a heart attack. And, you know, all these dudes having heart attacks. That's like a fucking leading a really stressful life. Like you yeah. can't just be completely afraid for your life all the time and just be like that's eh, intense i'm fine i'm stress-free all as well in 1968 after having his fucking heart attack because that's all these guys do bonanno decided to end the family conflict by agreeing to step down as the boss and move to arizona as part of this agreement bill also resigned from his role as consigliere and left new york with his father so they they they're done they left okay they were like, fuck this, we out. 
1974, Bonato and Bill moved to Arizona to the Catalina Vista neighborhood in Tucson with their family. In the late 70s, Joseph's two sons, Bill, the one he moved there with, and Joe Jr., I think I think Bill was the sick one? Yes. Yeah. That's what got, got involved with a guy named Lou Peters in Northern California. Lou Peters was a car dealer in San Jose, Lodi, and Stockton dealing with Cadillacs and Oldsmobiles. My first car was an Oldsmobile. His name was Smokey Deal. <laughs> what they didn't know was that Peters was secretly working with the FBI, helping them build a case against Bonanno. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. In April 1983, Joe Bonanno and his son Bill appeared on 60 Minutes, where they were interviewed by Mike Wallace. Really? Yep. Later, in 1983, Bonanno ended up spending eight months in prison for obstructing justice. Then in 1985, he got locked up again, this time for 14 months because he refused to testify in a federal racketeering case. Which, I mean, that I kind of get, because, like, they're going to kill him. Yeah, if if you do do that, you know you got a target on your back. Yeah, sir. I mean, that was kind of a smart move. I, you know, prison for 14 months or die. Take the 14 months, please. <laughs> He was transferred from a prison in Tucson, Arizona, to the U.S. Medical Center for Federal Prisoners in Springfield, Missouri, because he was not doing well health-wise due to his old age. He was finally released on November 1st, 1986, two days before little old me was born. Wow, look at that. (laughs) While his son Bill was on trial, he talked to an author named Gary Talisi, and those conversations became part of a book called Honor Thy Father, which was published in 1971. Bonato was not happy about the book and didn't talk to Bill for a whole year. But by the late 1970s, he changed his mind and wanted to write his own autobiography to tell his side of the story. So, in 1983, his book, titled A Man of Honor, the Autobiography of Joseph Bonato, was published. He believed that what he was doing was in line with his code of honor because he hadn't become an informant or a government witness, so he didn't feel like he was breaking his code. He felt like that was okay. Yeah, he was like, eh, I didn't really tattle on anybody, so it's fine. Still being loyal. part of the story. He's just like, I'm not a bad guy. I'm just a mobster. Hello. I'm (laughs) fine. That doesn't mean I'm bad. (laughs) The person who helped him with the book was a publisher named Michael Corda, who said that Bonanno was different from most people in his world. He read poetry, knew about classics, and even gave advice using quotes from Machiavelli. Bonanno passed away on May 11th, 2002, at the age of 97. Wow. Doom, that's even... Yeah, I know. I said, but three for three. Wow, that's... I said I was rooting for Banana, and Banana made it. He made it to... So, you know, he had heart failure, of course, but I mean, 97, heart failure, I feel like that's a good run. That's insane. Honestly. So he was laid to rest at Holy Hope Cemetery and Mausoleum in Tucson. So that's where he's at. And as far as I know, no one has bombed his grave. No one's bombed his mausoleum. <laughs> so that's Bonanno, Banana Man. We're three for three. So far, three out of our four dudes have lived to old age and died of, all of them have died of heart failure. We're hardly now. I believe it. And yeah, it's like, I feel like. We keep saying that it's not good to be in the mafia because you won't live long. But, like, all these people are just... These people proved us wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I still wouldn't do it. But, you know, 
You feel like getting into the mafia. Yeah, honestly, the gas more power. Too much it. stress for me. Seriously, I'd end up with heart problems. But yep, that's him. He made it. He got out of the mob for the most part. Wrote a book. Good for you. Was with no no. Was for the most part uh, nonviolent. Yeah, and just was doing some sketchy, shady shit and making his money and hanging out with his kids, being a dad. Being a dad. He seemed like not on the scanner. It wasn't mafia, not that bad. He didn't seem that Yeah, bad. like, I mean, in general, probably not that great. But in terms of mafia, at least he wasn't just shooting people up and exactly. being completely insane about everything. But as always, if it seems too good to be true, it is. And uh, I'm not even going to be pushing our socials or anything because we're not really going to be doing them a whole lot longer. Again, much longer. They will still be up. I don't intend to take down our Instagram or Facebook or anything, really. It's still going to be there. So if you end up finding our show well after we have been done with it, uh, you can still you can still talk to us. Yes, uh, like I'm still going to have access to everything. And if for whatever reason people decide that, that they want us back. Like you're campaigning to bring us back? Our emails are still active. Or our socials are still active. So who knows? Maybe we'll be done with it for like five years. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of like, people will fight us. Yeah. Like, um, what the fuck? It'll blow up out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, people will be like, who are these two crazy bitches? Man. Yeah. So be on the lookout for our new show. And we still have one installment left of our mobsters. So that will be up next week to look forward. And that'll be our final episode. And then if you miss us, um, our whole catalog is still there. So you can just go back and listen to us all over again. Thanks. Bye. Bye.